show that wants to do the right thing in any situation. For example, what is the quickest way to stop your girlfriend moaning at you for not putting up the shelves? The answer is to murder her grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Danielle Ward, and with me trying to do the right thing today, on my left, a woman so emotional, even her period has a period. Proving our point. Yes. <laughs> and with her, she won the BBC New Comedy Award, but she had to touch Patrick Kilty to get it. Is that yeah. the I've washed my hands. And on my right, no, it's not forgetful and absent Michael Legg. It's a man so tall he has to keep getting his wife pregnant just so he can see her. Justin Edwards. <laughs> And a man so white, even Andrew Lloyd Webber beats him at basketball. It's Gareth <laughs> Let's barrel headfirst into the importance of being right. The importance of being right. In this round, I'll present each team with a scenario and they must tell me what the correct thing to do is according to the internet's keenest, sharpest and most deluded minds. Justin and Gareth, here is your one. You're having a dinner party. It's a really swanky one, like on Come Dine With Me. All your favourite living, non-fictional people are coming and it's going to be great. But then the doorbell goes and some dick with a three-year-old child turns up. You said no children. You would normally turn them away, but then everyone will hate you and you get enough of that crap on YouTube. <laughs> you give the child a lovely meal of fish fingers and veg but they won't touch it you want to punch its tiny face in but that's probably not going to help either <laughs> so what is the right way to encourage a fussy toddler to eat according to Mumsnet if you read anything on Mumsnet that, that is written by insane <laughs> properly, properly mental women um, I encourage... and mental men and mental men no no, no Daniel no. it's mental women <laughs> mental women moderated by men <laughs> That's their slogan. Yeah. It would be Dad's net, and Dad's net would be a porn site. <laughs> you've got children. Yeah, you've got I children. I have got children, yeah. How do you make them eat? Well, all my daughter will eat is, she likes, I say, what do you want to eat? And she either says ice cream or cake. So you can disguise other food as ice cream. What? You're, you're genuinely on. interested now. <laughs> For example, you can still use a cornet. There's some nutrition there. You can pop some spinach in it. Oh, my and then, God. And then in lieu of ice cream, why not a rounded lump of ripe brie? <laughs> <laughs> and instead of a flake, a sausage. <laughs> way, she's getting calcium and protein and everything, and she'll think it's an ice cream. It's going to be fine until she goes to school, and then you're going to have to drop her off and give the teachers a big box of cornets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, just fill these you with it. Anything you put in has to be ice cream. Oh, no, what, tonight I made her, and this is, uh, this is horribly true, because I said, what will you eat for tea? She's been running in the sun, and she's a bit angry. And she just said, peanut butter, peanut butter. Oh, I can't have. So I made her rice and peas mixed up with peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Did she eat that? She ate it, yeah. Yeah, that's like satay. Yes. <laughs> yes, you racist, Margaret. What's wrong with another culture's food? Um, she likes Thai meals. Yeah, I think. Is it all right, isn't it? I don't no, know. it's, no, oh, it's very not impressive. Dead yet. I don't know. I've turned the phone off. She might be dead. <laughs> if this is an ongoing problem, can't you just starve the child? Yeah. If you just go, right, no, you're not eating anything. I reckon you get a child to eat gravel in a week. I am... Um, right, that's it. I did, um, I'm not proud of this, but I gave my child some smoked mackerel once that she refused to eat, and I thought, oh, I've got nothing to do today. 
we'll just stay in this room with this mackerel. <laughs> and it sat on her toy box for maybe five hours, and eventually she had a bit. I can't believe I've confessed that. <laughs> my brother was a really fussy eater. My mum used to do that thing of, she'd put everything that we were having in dinner, liquidise it all, and put it on a pizza. Meat. Vegetables. See, that's because that's Slightly no different to my ice cream roux. Yeah, no, it's, really it's just visually it's a absolutely. better idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hold with turning food into looking like other things, you know, turn them into faces on your pizza or whatever, because I think it encourages cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Jeffrey Dahmer's mum did. Yes, I know <laughs> No one ever talks about this. It's true. We grew up with alphabites and now I eat books. <laughs> <laughs> Does the chuchu train thing work? That's the method, isn't it? No. That patented method for getting food into a child. It's all a bit sexual to me. Yeah, it's just it not? open wide, let the train come in your mouth, girl. I don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't you know. You're some mothers to do oven for me. I don't say that to my daughter, but it's... Uh, <laughs> do that weird American no, accent. I'm terrified of fish. I'm an ichthyophobe. I hate fish, sea creatures, anything. I can't look at it. And I went to a Spanish restaurant with my cousin and I ordered paella and it came with shell on prawns. He said, don't worry, I'll sort it out. You go to the loo and it'll be sorted out when you come back. Came back, he put the heads on his fingers and was doing Diana Ross in the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 I'll never forgive him. Why did you order a paella? Yeah, they were yeah. always come See, I like fish if it doesn't look like fish. Oh. So oh. once you've dealt with it, that's fine. I had my first ever white bait yesterday and I still feel like I've got eyes in my teeth. Mm. Well, you probably oh, have, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> we can all see them. <laughs> I was very, very small, apparently. When I was like sort of a year old, I kept being sick all the time. My parents couldn't work out why. Until that evening, they went into the fridge, took out the gold butter, and they were just hand prints. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. I've done that in my sleep. I sleep and I've woken up. I was on a diet a couple of years ago. I lost quite a lot of weight. 42 pounds. That's the same as a Labrador. Anyway, um, I woke up with a packet of butter in my hand with a bite taken out of it. Oh, I, my God. My subconscious brain was sabotaging me. We've got two people on our panel. <laughs> who, who, have, who have eaten larger butter. I may leave. Producer Ben, what are the actual answers? Avoid mealtimes becoming a battleground, Margaret. Instead, <laughs> instead, eat together with your child. Often food on mummy or daddy's plate seems more interesting than their own, and you might be able to get a mouthful or two in your child that way. Don't give them a huge amount. Give them a star on their star chart if they clear their plate. Uh, try feeding them in the bath. Oh, come on. It's easy to wash the inevitable mess away, and while they're distracted with bubbles, you can get a few mouthfuls in. No, it isn't. Who are these idiots? Idiots. Feed them in the bath. Um, Someone's accidentally eaten soap that way. Yeah. You know. Feed them on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> also, when children are you know, having too graphic, up to about eight months, they associate eating with pooing quite closely. I don't know if yours did this, but every time I feed our son, he does a poo. I'm not feeding him in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I think, is along the lines of the uh, ice cream plan. Uh, mashed potato can act as a Trojan horse for disguising butternut squash, sweet potato, or well-cooked carrots and swede. Do you have to sculpt it into a horse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lack the skills. <laughs> and uh, finally, they say, be reassured, toddlers have small stomachs about the size of a small fist. Is that thing you should punch them? <laughs> it's about a handful of butter. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, who do you think the points went to there, Ben? Well, I did them up. Two points to Justin and Gareth and one point to Margaret and Angela. No. All right, all right. OK, Margaret and Angela, this one's for you. You have made a lot of enemies in your time, haven't you? Yeah. Which is why you've taken a short holiday to Paris. 
It's such a romantic city if you ignore the fact that everybody looks at you like you've just killed their dog. Nice coffee, though. <laughs> you've had such a lovely time wandering around the art galleries pretending to read knobby books that you've not noticed that your biggest enemy is following you and they look really pissed off. So pissed off that you have to jump from a building into a skip to escape from him. But what is the best way to jump from a building into a skip, according to Survival <laughs> Kit blog? I, I think there's some questions need asked. What's in the skip? Like, somebody's been thrown out mattresses, we're all right. Yep. If they've been thrown out Glass. in a cactus collection. It, it's, um, <laughs> it's just some black bags, so you don't know. Oh. Well, you need one of those um, long jaggedy buckets, don't you? I've seen them. A long jaggedy bucket? <laughs> <laughs> no, I We've all seen them. <laughs> Come on, you've seen a long jaggedy bucket. Do you roll in a ball? If you're in a ball, you won't break anything, is it? That is an answer. I'm being a bit too no, serious, no, well, that's my actual answer. You're not coming out of the ground floor or something, because then you just climb out and climb in. <laughs> <laughs> I think you haven't listened to the questions. Well, actually, I have, Mo, because it's in, it's in Paris. So I'm assuming the skip is going to be full of, I know, baguettes and <laughs> Piero's tears and, and wanky films. So it, it's fine. It'll probably be a very soft landing just on, on some dough. Justin, have you ever had to make a dramatic escape from uh, anything? I um, had to run away from Jeremy Paxman in a toilet. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was quite drunk, so I don't know. It was a drink stew for ITV, oddly, and uh, you basically got a glass when you went in, and then you had to sort of hold on to it to keep getting it topped up. And mm -hmm. I was quite held on quite firmly. <laughs> and I had about three, four pints of white wine quite quickly. <laughs> I was very relaxed, and I met Jeremy Paxman in the toilet, so I thought, Lord, say hello. <laughs> and, uh, but then I was, Why? I was, well, I, I was drunk, Mark. I was very drunk. <laughs> and I was trying to not let go of my glass and intersperse it with holding my genitals <laughs> and talk to Jeremy Paxman. He written, and I think once I might have weed in my own wine glass. <laughs> and I thought, I better live. I hurriedly, I, I ran out of the fire exit. So it was at the Royal Courts of Justice. So, yeah, it's quite a difficult place to get out of. <laughs> Has anybody ever had to make a, a dramatic escape? Anybody ever had to jump out of a burning building or climb down an elevator shaft? Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I've got into pickles and then got out of the but I got locked in a school once. Really? Me and my friends were waiting for his dad to pick us up and they locked all the doors and we left the room we were in to go out to the school, found that the front doors were locked and then suddenly these terrifyingly loud alarms started ringing. And it's so loud you can't think properly, so you're sort of just terrified. It's just noise and noise and noise. And then uh, Darren's dad came over and he was going like, what's the matter? And we sort of went, we're locked in. He couldn't understand us because of the noise. And he was going like, what's the matter? So we wrote down, we are locked in. And we held it up. And I just remember Darren's dad, he was sitting there smoking and just went, we are locked in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so no, no jumping into a skip. I've never had to run away from anything, but I once uh, accidentally impaled myself on a, on a spiked fence <laughs> trying to get a train. Um, you know yeah. that's not how you get on <laughs> train. I turned up to, like, so I was coming back from a gig and there's the railway fence and the train was pulling in just as we got there to me and Carl Donnelly. We couldn't find the entrance onto the platform so we assumed it had been locked up. So Carl said, oh, let's climb over the fence. And he climbed over and got on the train. I climbed over, being much shorter than him, slipped and a spike went through my jeans and cut the back of my leg open, just hanging on a railway fence. But this is genuinely what I said. Carl said, should we get someone to help you? And I went, you go, I'll get the next train. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt like such an idiot. Did he go? 
No, he didn't. They held, they held the train doors open for me and then the guards wouldn't touch me because they thought they were going to get AIDS. <laughs> but they wouldn't even give me a box to stand on. And you can't even get AIDS off a box. <laughs> it's really, um, that's my most dramatic exit. But uh, it was mainly just trying to get a train. How should you land in a skip? I take my T-shirt off and use it as a parachute. Has that's anyone else got that Tommy Cooper song going round their head, Don't Jump Off the Roof, Dad? <laughs> no. no. That doesn't no, exist, right? Has anyone else... Do you want to give us a few bars? <laughs> Don't jump off the roof, Dad. You'll make a hole in the yard. Mother's just planted petunias. The weeding and seeding was hard. If you must end it all, Dad, won't you please give us a break? Just take a walk to the park, Dad, and then you can jump in the lake. <laughs> go to producer Ben who has the actual answers. What's so. the answer a Tommy Cooper song? Afraid uh, not. <laughs> and I think no points all round. Oh. Yeah! You fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah, uh, so when your body hits any surface from a significant height the body folds into a V. This means landing on your stomach can result in a broken back. So you want to land flat on your back so that when your body folds your feet and hands meet. It's entirely possible to survive a high fall, five storeys or more, into a dumpster provided it is filled with the right type of trash. Cardboard boxes are best, and you land correctly. Who, who asked that question about... OK, Angela. let's give them a point. Yeah. Margaret and Angela, point for them. It's time for agony. In this round, our panel get to play at being agony aunts, just like in the magazines, but with one subtle difference. The people asking them for help will actually exist. Before you advise the audience, though, you can get your eye in by trying to out-agony a real agony aunt. Justin, I believe you have a real letter to read out. Yeah. Can you do it in a Northern Irish accent, just to be a bit more like Michael? Dear agony aunt, <laughs> I'm, I'm 39 and my wife is 36. We've always had a great relationship and brilliant sex. But then this new guy moved in next door. He's 30, a carpenter, and seems so nice. My wife decided our kitchen needed replacing. I thought our neighbour could fit it so we could save some cash. The work was soon underway, but I got the shock of my life when I got home early and found my wife in bed with him. I feel angry and betrayed. <laughs> I can't get the image of my wife and this bloke out of my head, but what really disturbs me is that I find it arousing. <laughs> I don't know whether to tell my wife the effect he's had on me or ask her for a divorce. Yours. <laughs> Yours. M leg. Yeah. <laughs> um, Margaret, what, what would advice I would you give this to Michael? poor man to Michael? Yeah. Well, it's a bit difficult because I find most things um, arousing. <laughs> <and> arousing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mainly think it's surely not a matter of either divorce or threesome. There's probably a middle road there, isn't what, there? What? <laughs> what, Margaret? <laughs> I think he should embrace Jesus. it. This could be the start of something that he's found Amazing. in himself. That you know, how do people who are into S and M find out that they're into stub their toe? And go, ah, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, so maybe embrace it. Fuck me, the and then the builder hard. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was a swinger, so no. I'm 99.9 percent .9 sure my dad was a swinger. He did run a sex shop for a living. So what was really? the point one? Well, just, I never actually discussed it with him, but when, after he died, this is, oh, well, I'll tell Tell, tell. After he died, I had to phone people to let him know that, that he passed away, and I, because if you think about it, you don't know who all your parents' friends are, so I thought, I'll just, I'll work through his mobile phone, and every now and then, if you think about your mobile phone, right, the people, like, if, if 
I was to die tomorrow, my mum would be having a really weird conversation with people who don't know who I am, right? Like, and um, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people going, oh, I'm really sorry for your loss, but I don't know who he is, and it's fine. And then there'd be people going, oh, God, that's terrible, that's really awful. What happened? And he was such a lovely man. And I'd go, tell them. And, say, and um, so how did you know him? And there'd be a really long silence. <laughs> and then I cheered myself up by, uh, every time that happened, I would fill the silence by going, were you one of his parishioners? <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what advice would you give to this poor man? Um, I suggest he moves out of the fucking 70s. The idea that, <laughs> oh, the builders come round and I've caught him in bed with my wife. That doesn't happen. Doesn't, who is he, Robin Asquith? It's not, really, it's not really a very good kind of dialect. I mean, no, you know, but, surely but, in this day, like, they'd go and stay in a travel lodge or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's only like 1950. And also, yeah. my wife's been left at home all day with a saucy builder and you kind of go, oh, it's a bit... Yeah. It's Northern then, Ireland, Justin. This is what happens in Northern Ireland. It's not necessarily in Northern Ireland. Listen, you were very convincing. <laughs> well, the other thing is if people, oh, I don't know what to make of this. I've seen my wife in bed with another man and oh, this is suddenly aroused. me. It's, well, do you know what? Go on the internet. It's probably full of it. There's, <laughs> there's probably a, I've seen my wife in bed with another man and I'm aroused.com. <laughs> go to and you'll be able to find all the images. And maybe there will be like-minded people to talk to. There's a website dedicated to cartoons of dragons having sex with cars. <laughs> <laughs> that Welsh thing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I never made that link, but one of them is on a bridge that looks suspiciously like the Seven Bridge. Uh. <laughs> Have any of you been cheated on by anybody? Not that I know of. Yeah. Worse, that's the proper way to do it. Well, yeah. Right, right. They'd be successful if I am. Surely there's a more modern... If I'd said to my wife, I'm going out tonight to do a podcast... And I'll um, be back later. I could be cheating on her now. You, you could, could do it yeah. after this. I'm not offering. <laughs> I'm not asking. It's very hard to get. Wow, I'm feeling really. I'm feeling very hurt and aroused right now. <laughs> so this this situation. Yeah. Gareth's I'm, been studying yeah, this lesson. Sort of, I've, I've sort of got to, the, to grips with this. He's basically going. Does he divorce his wife, or is he suggesting that they all just live together? In like I know. Sort of I think it's, yeah. In which case. They could knock the houses together, he's a builder, job done, increase the value on the property. I think there's a lot going for this. <laughs> Why don't we ask Ben for the actual answers? Yeah. Okay, well, the answers were um, sort of the middle ground. So I think uh, Margaret and Angela get the point. Um, maybe you and your wife were taking each other for granted, then seeing her with this guy reminded you how sexy she is. The marriage is clearly not dead, so it would be a shame to end it. Many couples are stronger after such upsets. But she must say sorry and not see the neighbour. Also, talk over what went wrong to try to fix it. I'm sending you my leaflet on cheating to help you both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, cheating leaflet. Not see the neighbour. The work's half done. It's not finished the kitchen. (laughs) Right, now you've learnt how a real agony aunt does it, let's see how you cope with some problems from tonight's audience. And they look very troubled. They do look very (laughs) troubled. Is Roger here? Unemployed Roger. That'll be me. Unemployed Roger! Roger's problem, panel, if you can help him, he says, I am currently unemployed. See, it wasn't a guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to go on a training course that may lead to a job offer in Moscow. I am excited, but equally terrified. How do I get rid of my fears? What Moscow are you most afraid of? Is it the cold? Um, did, did you watch like, some Tom Clancy film or something? The summer is incredibly hot. The winter is incredibly cold. Well, that's and like the moon. And the moon's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's quite scary. <laughs> yes. Is it entirely temperature-based? No, the Cyrillic script is probably a bit scary. And the uh, mafia 
and things what like that. What are you doing out there? If you're <laughs> well, and the language, and the mafia, and the food. <laughs> I, I don't speak Russian, though. Is it M I five? I couldn't possibly comment. Oh, oh you've passed. Well yeah. Done. <laughs> what is the job? I may get lynched, but uh, it's helping rich people avoid paying tax. <laughs> Actually, a job description. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Moscow for a bit, so I can help you. This is where, no, but to, but can we just say before Danielle answers anything that this is where Danielle thought she'd seen a naked version of Hamlet, but it was in fact an episode of Quantum Leap. So I'm not, I'm not sure I drank that she, lot yeah, that, that she's the best person to answer questions about Moscow. Tell you what, you will get to see. Um, I went to a nightclub. And uh, everybody had to check their guns in before they went into the nightclub, so obviously it's quite safe. Spoil sports. Yes. <laughs> and what they did was they um, gave uh, ladies champagne if they got on a table and danced naked. And this isn't like dancers, this was just normal ladies, so that's just what, that's what Moscow's like. Is that helping, or is that putting you off? It's going towards the excited rather than the terrified, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've also saw a squirrel eating a bone. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a friend who worked for HSBC out there, so I don't know if this ties in. He's involved in banking. But he had a bodyguard because he was considered an enticing prospect. And he said one night they were quite drunk, writing their names in the snow, in urine. And he noticed that his bodyguard's uh, name was written in red. Because that's <laughs> he was an unhealthy man. <laughs> <laughs> He drank rather a lot and uh, was beaten up frequently. So, yeah. oh, my, oh my God! God. Do you have the number of the bodyguard? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I imagine he's long dead. This was about five years ago. But, uh... <laughs> Another thing is, there's no H in the Russian alphabet, so um, they call uh, Harry Problem. Potter Gary Potter, <laughs> wow. and they call hamburgers Gamburgers. So, but is it G from Steps? Mm. Is it G? <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody helped you out? Anybody on the panel deserves your uh, points? You've convinced me to go to Moscow and uh, hire a bodyguard who pisses blood, so yeah. <laughs> so points to Justin, yeah. I think. Mean. Danielle doesn't get any. No, I don't get any. So round of applause for Justin. <laughs> is, um, is Angela Gusniak? Uh, sorry, how do you pronounce your surname? Gustiniak. Are you so Russian? Maybe you should have a heart. No, Polish. I'm not Polish, I'm British. You're married to a Polish man. Yeah, he was Polish-French, so... Still... Do you mean he was a French polisher? He lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, your problem is I have two daughters. One is 14 years old, the other is 33 years old. How do I get them to love, or at least pretend to, each other? Oh, oh do your daughter's not. Are you one of the daughters? Yeah. Wow. Which one are you? Are you the 14 year old? <laughs> oh, you're the 14 year old. So you don't get on with your older sister? Not really. Oh, she's a prick. <laughs> are you, really? I, I'm just going to stick up for the big sister because I've got, I'm 13 years older than my brother. And um, are you annoying? <laughs> my brother, honestly, the day before I had to give it in, hid my A-level theatre studies coursework. And I was going frantic, and I had to read, I stayed up all night, redid it all. Oh, my God. And then he was five, I think, at the time, or maybe a bit younger than that, and then just laughed at me the next day when he got it from under his mattress. I've never forgiven him. <laughs> what's wrong with her, 14-year-old? Yeah, what don't you like about her? <laughs> She's just a bit annoying. 
Details. It's generally annoying. I don't have much help, but can I buy this as a sitcom? <laughs> <laughs> can we do a thing later? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can think of, uh, I was walking through Cardiff the night that Take That were in town. Oh, you've lived. And, uh, <laughs> and there were, there were teenagers. <laughs> so basically, that's the only thing I've seen that can just unite generations of women, is a love of Take That. Okay. And the love of a man with a surname I Orange. Do you like Take That? Mm, she's wrinkled. Uh, no, I'm, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm the age I am, and my sister. <laughs> my sister's 19, and she recently got pregnant, and it's bonded the family. So no, no, we're not saying that. No, no, we are not recommending an underage girl. Oh yeah, you're only. Four yeah. <laughs> Give it a couple of years, <laughs> and then she can be an auntie, and you'll all get on. Maybe Fun the older bikes. one could. Yeah. yeah, oh no, actually, yeah, that's a better yeah, that's one. A better <laughs> one. <laughs> Maybe, your old ward. sister should get knocked up, and then you could be a lovely auntie and you'll all bond. <laughs> Is she? I'm not saying yeah. that baby's a bad idea, but take that ticket, it's a much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody helped you on this panel? Um, it's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave the room, <laughs> leave them to it. Oh, perhaps you could have a baby and then you might be thinking, oh, yeah, that would be the right. Yeah. Points for me! <laughs> it's time to ask the expert. Ask, 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 ask. In this round, our panel have to try and work out what a real, actual expert would do in any given situation, and they're not allowed to ask their mums for help. So please welcome expert historian Joshua Levine. Woo! Hello. Hey, Joshua. What bit of history are you an expert in? Well, I've written books about the First World War, Second World War, uh, Northern Ireland troubles, 20th century, basically. Fighting. Writing, yeah. You're into the fighting. Fighting, for writing about fighting. Fight, yes. Writing about fighting, yes. <laughs> you only write about things that rhyme. Uh, yes, <laughs> as, as a rule. Um, and uh, can you explain to us quickly what a double agent is? Yes. Um, a double agent is somebody who is pretending to spy for one side, but in fact is under the control of another. So, for example, during the, the Second World War, the Germans thought that they had lots of spies in Britain. But actually, they didn't have any at all because every single one of them had been turned by the British and was sending them... <laughs> this, no, no. <laughs> Don't take sides. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, I mean, there the, the were spies here for short periods of time, but all but one were caught. But one wasn't caught. One um, shot himself in, a, in an air raid shelter in Cambridge. But all the others were, were actually caught. And then they were sent to a, a spy prison, mm -hmm. which is round the corner from Richmond Tube Station, and they were basically either turned there into double agents, or if not, they were pretty much all executed. What a lovely wow. way to start! <laughs> so they were. Um, if you were Nicholas Lindhurst in Goodnight Sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> and had a time portal back to World War II, would yeah. you choose to stay back in time or would you stay now? Oh, I, I th I'd be here now. I, it's, it's a good question. I don't th even though it's quite tempting to think, you know, I'd live at some point in history, yeah. unless you were really rich. Basically, it's just better now. I mean, you know, we'd all be dead from our appendixes at, at 12, and it's, it's just better now. What you could do is you could have your appendix removed now, and then go back to 
I know I couldn't be a good spy, double agent, or because like you know when you go to America and you have to fill in that card, and one of the questions genuinely enough. is like, are you involved in espionage or sabotage? <laughs> and I can't lie on those things. <laughs> <laughs> How good were the Germans at turning English agents? Uh, not, not nearly as good. I mean, the point was, the German Secret Service was quite corrupt, and they were also so fearful of the, the sort of German hierarchy that a lot of the time, as long as they had agents who were sending back information, they didn't really care whether they were telling the truth or not. So some of the agents got away with just terrible lies. Like, you know, one, one man who was pretending to be a spy, but at this time wasn't even in Britain. He was actually living in Lisbon, and he was getting all his information from library books, from a book on the British Navy, <laughs> from magazines, and he sent back a report saying he'd been in Glasgow. And, and he actually wrote that Glasgow men will do anything for a pint of wine. <laughs> And they didn't question it. They just, well, just let it who go. Who would? <laughs> Our main problem now is that the experts we're getting are a bit too good and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and whereas we just used to take the piss out of Bring people, it's now it's a bit problematic because I'm really interested. Uh, Gareth, do you have a question? Yeah, Spy Prison, Yes. you mentioned. Yes. Has anyone done a sitcom about that? <laughs> <laughs> mentioned the spy prison because our first scenario is about that your name is lieutenant colonel robin tin eye stevens oh, and you're the head of a top <laughs> secret mi5 prison in wartime london but what is the right way to determine if a captured enemy spy is right to be turned into a double agent what do you think joshua would say do you like hitler <laughs> well you start with that kind of question and then break them down I don't know, I'm not an expert <laughs> Is it like mangoes to give them a yeah. squeeze? Yeah. <laughs> the best well, I don't just see how quickly they change their mind over something you say, listen, uh, what do you want for lunch? We've got <laughs> chicken or pork Oh, chicken, oh actually the chicken's off, do you want pork? Yeah, alright Alright, yeah Mine's are weak and soft and you know you can yeah. Do you yeah. just live with them for a couple of weeks and then decide who's the most annoying? It's not big brother <laughs> just, oh, I can't stick him. Kill him. <laughs> Am I right? I think that Tin Eye Stevens invented good cop, bad cop. He did, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He called it blow hot, blow cold. But he used all these things. He used, he used something called Cell 14, which is like the worst place in the world where he put spies in there. And they made up all these stories that, you know, people had died in there, that it used to be a mortuary, all this kind of stuff. And normally within, within a couple of days, people were talking because it just played on their fears. And why was he called Tin Eye? Because he wore a monocle. Oh. 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 That's less interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what is the actual answer? Um, well, you're sort of right. I mean, you know, part of it is, will they be turned? You know, the vast majority of the time they were perfectly willing to work for the British because it meant they stayed alive. You'd also have to find out, had they already communicated with the enemy, with the Germans, when they were actually captured? Because a lot of them were dropped here with their transmitters. And if they'd already communicated, they couldn't be used. Some of them were dropped with wirelesses that didn't even work. The Germans were so slapdash. You know, one guy actually was dropped with wireless, so he had to go and buy another part to make it work. And so he was a pretty bad risk <laughs> to turn, because, you know, they'd probably wonder so, why. Hang on, so they would just say to them, do you want to work for us? No, no, mean you'll stay alive. So I could go, yes, of course I will do this. And then just be a double-double agent. Well, for, well, this is also a danger, that, that they could be a triple agent. This is why, I mean, the people who were working in the deception in, in MI5 on this, they were absolutely fucking brilliant. You know, they were all sort of real odd people, who were hyper-intelligent, who had to sort of second-guess what the German Secret Service was up to all the time to be one step ahead. 
So basically, had they communicated? Were they telling the entire truth? And um, also, the other thing, had their capture only been observed by a very few trusted people? Because if it was big news, mm -hmm. that was terrible. Because obviously, it could then get back to the Germans, and they would know. Did that they this just guy... execute them in that situation? No, almost always. Sometimes they kept them in prison, but most often they execute. They had a trial. Oh. One spy was actually acquitted in 1940 when you know they were waiting for the invasion, yeah. and a spy went up for trial at the Old Bailey. He was probably guilty. And this unbelievably fair-minded British jury acquitted him. What can you say about the jury system that it'll acquit a spy in 1940? It would make an excellent final episode of a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, who do you think we should give the points to for this round? Ooh. I think Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> Justin. Is that possible? Yeah, I no think so. No one's pointing at Justin. So. I think, no, I think Justin, because he asked the best question. He did ask the best question. This tuna yeah. chicken yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Question. And, um, before we let you go, Joshua, yeah. is there anything you would like to plug? A book for instance? Yeah, I'll plug, oh, you've got a book. plug six yeah. of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Please go no, ahead. Plug yourself. The one, the one that this is about is called Operation Fortitude, and it's about the deception in 1944 that made the Germans think that D-Day was coming somewhere else. And it's all the story of spies, and it's fun, so it's on Amazon, and, uh, yeah, you know. Thank you to our expert, Joshua! <laughs> Scores are producer Ben, Margaret, and Angela have got three, and Justin and Gareth have got five. Oh, right. okay. oh that wasn't very popular. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's do the wrong thing. Panelists, the wrongest thing to do in a situation. The most wrong answer will win you a Toblerone once sucked by Roger Moore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the round will end when producer Ben's horn goes off. Here we go. You see a nun killing a, a paedophile. What is the wrong thing to do? Put it on, you've been framed. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty wrong. How would, you, how would you know? It would look like a nun attacking a man, albeit, all right, maybe it's a man with those kind of wanking trousers that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What if he's got a cock in a child's mouth? <laughs> you asked. Hey, you're asking quite a nasty question. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Duncan Bannertown offers you £2,000 to come on Dragon's Den and pretend you've invented his new product, a gun for vaccinating truly ugly children. Oh, unruly children. <laughs> <laughs> you can't vaccinate against ugliness. <laughs> Bannertine offers you £2,000 to come on Dragon's Den and pretend you've invented his new product, a gun for vaccinating unruly children. He is clearly trying to promote it dishonestly. What is the wrong thing to do? I don't want to constantly pick holes in these things. <laughs> if Duncan Bannertine, who sits on Dragon's Den with, you know, millions of pounds worth of money, invented this gun and he wants to sell it to... He could sort of do that, couldn't he? You that? are such a buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Justin, you'll like this one. The person you are kissing tastes of cat food. <laughs> what is the wrong thing to do? Neuter them. <laughs> <laughs> do you just say to them, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm one of the two out of ten people who <laughs> fucking hates whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else's pizza is delivered to your door. What is the wrong thing to do? Take it to the correct address and post it through slice by slice. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a big piece. Oh, jizz on it in the face of our Lord. 
Stitches on the face night. Let's end that show by saying, is it jizz on the face night? Producer Ben metaphorically jizzes on all our faces with his massive Well, that's the end of the show. Producer Ben, what are the final scores? Well, Margaret and Angela have got three. Justin and Gareth have got ten. Oh, my God! Points in two seconds. This is a <laughs> <laughs> well, well done to Justin and Gareth. And uh, what? That's, that's it. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.